Are you ready to have an open and honest discussion about sex and spiritual wellness without secrets, censorship, or barriers? This is Unbuckled with your host, Christy Ann Bella. In this program, there are no topics that are off the table, from religion to health, feelings to sexuality. Get ready to hear from some incredible people. And now, here's Christy Ann Bella. Hello and welcome. I am Christiane Bella and you are listening to Unbuckled. We are helping you to reveal sex and wellness and our spirituality. And we have a wonderful guest today. I am truly honored to have join us Dr. Cherie Walker, who is the author of The Resilient Walker. For those of you watching on YouTube, I'm flashing her fabulous book. Ah, so um, I do want to give a heads up to our audience. We are talking about a uh, sensitive topic. Um, and so just a trigger warning, um, we will be talking about sexual abuse um, on yourself, take care of yourself. And um, thank you for listening. And thank you for being a part of a very important conversation. So our guest, Dr. Sheree Walker is an author, educator, motivational speaker, <laughs> workshop facilitator, providing excellent professional development for life learners using her own courage that she came from conquering her pain in life to help others and know that there is a life after pain. And she is a sunshine in a hurricane here to change the world. I love you. So thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. This is great. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Truly a pleasure. Um, so we were talking before we got on air about how we came to know each other um, via my hairstylist who um, I think did like your eyebrows or something. And mm-hmm. um, I was being open with her about my situation and my history of uh, sexual abuse trauma. And she was like, you have to read this book. And she gave me your book, which I loved. Um, and I'm so glad we've gotten to connect so that we can come forward and tell these stories because I believe that you know, the secrecy and the shame is what perpetuates these unhealthy cycles. And, um, and I'm all about people who are standing up and being like, no, we are like, I'm breaking this with my truth and, mm. and stepping up and literally stepping up the resilient walker. So I love the, the play on words, your, your last name, obviously, but also to, to really move forward. Um, and so I would love to talk about that because you open your book with this harrowing story of forgiveness, mm-hmm. right? To actually go up to one of your perpetrators um, at your brother's funeral. So at a time when you're incredibly vulnerable and to be able to be in that space, can you tell me more about how you came to that place? And I love in your book, you talk about, you know, forgiveness is this deed that you do to people. It's not mm-hmm. for people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would love to hear um, how you woke up to that. Yeah, so so that moment, um, I was prepared for that moment years prior to that. Mm-hmm. So my brother was killed by a drunk driver in 2005. And it may have been 2003 or 2002 where I was attending church and it was um, watch service night. So the, the last day of uh, the year. So uh, December 31st of 2003 or 2002. And the pastor was um, talking to the congregants about forgiveness and letting go. And, and what it means to forgive and to forgive. And so throughout life, there was always like this just kind of cloud or this void inside of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I knew in that moment I was there alone um, and uh, he said, connect to your partner. So some random lady, you know, talking to this random woman and just to your with your partner and pray for them, you know, uh, mm-hmm. 
and, and just out of the spirit and then pray for yourself and whatever's holding you back or this void. He just started using those words that I, that felt. And I went to that moment of being abused by a father and I just cried out. Uh, I forgive you. I forgive you. And as I was crying for him, I was forgiving myself because I thought, you know, I was guilty. There was shame. Uh, it was something I did. What did I do wrong? Um, and, and over time I had made, um, poor choices because of the the abuse and how that exposes you to those things. And so I didn't know if and when I would ever get the opportunity to let him know that I had forgiven him. But it was at my brother's funeral that I walked up to him, grabbed him by hands. I hadn't seen him in maybe 15, 16 mm-hmm. years. And I said, I remember everything he did to me vividly. However, I forgive you. And I embraced him, you know, uh, wasn't in a sense of um, trying to uh, assert my power or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But it was me thinking that most people who have been abused right. oftentimes become abusers or they abuse themselves. Mm-hmm. Just crying out for him at the same time, understanding that I could have been him. Right this this balance of seeing him as as human and with me being a follower of Christ understanding that he too was worthy of God's love and forgiveness yeah. so it was a process it was a process do you remember what was was there a moment where that process started was it was it mostly in church or um was it because I know you had gone to therapy do you feel like there was you know a few different things that helped kind of create that domino effect or, or do you remember like one kind of aha moment where you're like, I got to dig into this? Well, I, I was that kid that believed in the golden rule. And mm-hmm. oh, I, I was that kid who uh, helped thy neighbor even before right. being exposed to church. It was just um, wanted to be a helper. I was always people. So with the core of me never being over time it was I just wanted to do right because I was supposed to mm-hmm. and so um at a year early age uh, we I went to therapy for a little bit but um culturally uh I'm a, a black American and uh therapy just wasn't something we did in my household mm-hmm. and so I really didn't get um therapy until I was an adult and by then I was more so um, thinking about how all things work together so it was my core belief it was it was um, wanting to be free from this darkness Um, and so it started at a very young age and just became um, something that was that I knew I just had to do and when the opportunity presented itself um, I knew I just had to take the opportunity. So it wasn't one moment, like you suggested, it was several right. moments time that was progressive. Yeah, I love that. So I love you said, you know, this ability, and, and I love how you say it in your book, that even in all his fiendishness, God still loves him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've thought about that a lot with, with the perpetrators in my life as well. Um, and I love how you mentioned this idea of like, you know, the poor choices, there could be a ripple effect, right? Like this idea that you could have been that person because hurt people hurt people. Um, and so I would love to talk about, you know, what is that one um do you think it is 
solely a spiritual thing, this ability to see this idea that all people deserve love and to what do you think kept you from going into a ripple of being a hurt person who, who hurt people, you know, and instead rising up and taking this, the path, I think sometimes less traveled, unfortunately. So no, I didn't hurt people per se, but I hurt myself, right? Because growing up, I was told being a secret made me special, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, so he took the best part of me, you know, being being someone who, you know, wanted to honor authority and things like that and made me think that being a secret made me special. And then I was dealing with my father, who um, oftentimes kept me at bay um, with other relationships. So again, that also validated being a secret made me special. And so as I became a teenager and a promiscuous, um, I was the girl that really didn't have a boyfriend. So I I dated all the boys who had girlfriends because being a secret made me special. Right. right? And so I was herself and having to go through this long process of realizing, wait a minute, being number two, I'm way too fly to be number two. You know, like that's not where it is. That was a lie. And to unlearn that Mm -hmm. and realizing over time I was going to have to put things in place to, again, forgive myself again for believing this lie and then working on not uh, myself in the sexual sense, um, in addition to relationships, because you end up with toxic, toxic mm-hmm. relationships, you know, or allowing all these different things. So I started seeing life from a different lens and, yeah. and learning how, no, I didn't, um, I perpetrator but I have all this debt where is this coming from you know no I wasn't a perpetrator but I'm promiscuous you know no I'm not a perpetrator but it's manifesting in other ways and so how do I make the correlation of really getting to worthy you know Mm -hmm. I than um, than enough um, and what that really means um, be- because when you are exposed to sexual trauma or mixed messaging or no messaging or all this hurt over time you don't know what to believe yeah and we make these agreements with ourselves mm-hmm. right at a young age right. and and it's easier to believe the lie so I really mm-hmm. have to do the work to you know unlearn what I thought to be true Yes. Oh, absolutely. I can definitely relate to that. Um, so do you have any specific techniques you use to help process the unlearning? One is, is journaling. And just to make sure I answer your question for me, um, I, I, I am a follower of Christ and, and I am someone who is spiritual and I understand that's not everyone's walk. And so people have to figure out what works for them. That's natural and not something where they are trying to, um, uh, escape, you know, through mm-hmm. or sex. So it may be, um, for me, it's connecting to spirituality, but that is only one portion of it was with journaling. It's through therapy, EMDR. Um, yeah. And I, I was like, I'm not doing that. When I was early in the healing process, I was mm-hmm. like, going to do that. And then um, as life went on, it came back around and it was something that I had to actually do. I am a fan, a true believer yeah. in it. Um, so it, you have to figure out what works for you. Right. And, and today it may not be therapy. So you may find solace in just writing and journaling or connecting with someone that can hold space for you. Tomorrow it may be 
It may be exercising. It may be edu- um, uh, medication. It may be body therapy. So you have to figure mm-hmm. out your program and connect with people where you don't have to translate your hurt and pain. So it, it can be yeah. a, it's a combination of a lot of different things. And you got to figure out what for you. Absolutely. Um, journaling. Yes, I'm, I'm a huge fan of that. It's, it's definitely helped me in my process and EMDR as well um, was a big game changer because, you know, talk therapy just for a long time, I, I felt like it was treading water. It was like, okay, good. Somebody heard me. They validated that this was wrong. Yeah, thanks. Like, duh. Um, but now what are we actually doing to, like you said, unlearn these associations that are made when you have experienced this kind of trauma that, um, like you were saying with your, your secret story, you know, this, and then it, that pattern moves into other areas of your life. Um, so I love, you mentioned about this idea of, um, you know, bonding and, and connection. Um, and in your book, you talk about like trauma bonding and, and you were talking just a moment ago about toxic relationships. And it's an interesting thing because in your book, you, you talk about this dear friend who, you know, so I think it's, there's such that duality, right. Of like, we bond with people because we have shared experiences. Um, but sometimes our trauma can cause us to bond in toxic ways. And what has helped you kind of distinguish between like, okay, this is my trauma bonding me to somebody that I should not be with versus like, oh, we, you know, we're connecting because the, these stories are understood. And this is a place where that feels like safe to, to be vulnerable and move through my trauma. Understanding um, the foundation of a relationship Mm-hmm. important in addition to the relationship understanding if is it a mutualistic relationship is it a parasitic relationship like really understand are we pouring in it into each other or if it's off balance right um and oftentimes you may have friends or people you're around where you are the person they come to and and you're advice however they hold space for you in other areas maybe not the same give it to them But making sure that this person is giving you what you need. And so that relationship you were referring to, it was one where it was so off balance, but I was connected to the trauma that we shared. And that made me think that we spoke the same language. And when I started doing self-work, I realized that was the only thing we really had in common. Yeah. He put up for me also reminded me of the relationship with my father so it's it's actually learning all of those things right and so you have to constantly self-assess and assess and put them in in place and so as it relates to um someone that 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 empowers you when the phone with that person are you exhausted are you overwhelmed Mm -hmm. do you look at the phone and does it cause you anxiety like lord have mercy i don't want to answer this phone you know um and you're questioning those relationships then you really need to question those relationships or assess those relationships but then also ask yourself this question uh what do people experience when they experience you because you may be projecting you know, toxicity, you know, you may be projecting and they're just giving it back. And so you're going to have to constantly self-assess relationships to be able to, to, um, heal from those past traumas and, uh, shared experiences because that's all you have, but you want to evolve, right? You want to evolve and put them in their place in which that's what EMDR does. It helps you put those relationships or those things in place. 
Absolutely. I love that. So we are uh, getting ready to go to break, but I'm happy to dive in more um, about what I feel like you kind of highlighted on in just a moment here. Um, This idea of I think owning your part, you know, like you're saying, like at some point you have to look at your side too. Like toxicity isn't always a one way relationship or participating in this. And, and so um, I would love to hear, you know, more about your story of how you literally like got out of the projects. I mean, you were like a girl from Watts. And for those of you who are listening, who don't have a scope of what that means, it's like, if you ever listen to, you know, Dr. Dre or or like hip hop in the nineties, like when they're talking about South Central LA and, and, you know, Crips and Bloods, like that was your neighborhood. That's like where you grew up. And to be now, I mean, a highly regarded educator and speaker, um, doctorate degree, uh, you know, author, you know, this is just such a transformation. And so I'm excited to jump in. As soon as we return back from break, you are listening to Unbuckled with me, intimacy architect, Christiane Bella, and our guest, Dr. Cherie Walker. We'll be back in a moment. Thanks so much. Are you tired of having the same fight over and over again? Is it hard to remember a time when you felt close to each other? Before you call it quits, do you want to do something to rebuild that spark of intimacy? Of course you do. Ignite the passion like never before with Intimacy Architecture. Text 626-310-5159 to set up your relationship consultation. Again, text 626-310-5159. Think about how much sound you hear all the time. Noise, music, your own heartbeat. What is it made of? How does it work? How does it affect you? The universe of music takes you into the particles of life and the beat of living. It is an interactive online masterclass of music and science taught by the internationally renowned musician and scholar, Dr. Marcine Bella. Visit theuniverseofmusic.com. That's theuniverseofmusic.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Unbuckled with Christy Ann Bella. Reach out to Christy Ann with any questions or comments at intimacyarchitect at gmail.com. That's intimacyarchitect at gmail.com. Christy Ann welcomes your emails. Now, back to the show. Hello and welcome back. You are listening to Unbuckled with me, Intimacy Architect Christy Ann Bella. And our guest is Dr. Cherie walker we are talking about her book, The Resilient Walker, which um, I'm sure you can get on Amazon and all those uh, good places, right? Um, and you can also find Dr. Cherie on Resilient Walker. That's R-E-S-I-L-I-E-N-T-W-A-L-K-E-R.com at Resilient Walker on Instagram and Facebook. So definitely uh, check out all her stuff there as well. So I would love, um, right before the break, we were talking about how, you know, how do you come out of a situation and not be a statistic, right? You know, you, you grew up in poverty and to be able to go through what you did um, because your stepfather wasn't the only person who abused you. This happened at various stages throughout your life and other people, but to rise out of that and to, you know, to walk your walk, 
tell me about how first, you know, what, what was that moment where you're like, this is, I, I, there's more to my life than this. And then where do you think you kind of reclaimed your self-worth to not just see yourself as, as a victim of your circumstance? Well, being in Watts, um, which is like a two mile radius with 40,000 people, it was during the, the, the 70s and the 80s, um, give you additional context, uh, colors with Robert Duvall and Sean Penn. Like I was there recording that. That was a true depiction of the time and era that I uh, grew up. And there was, it was like the tell of two cities, right? It was the best of times and it was the worst of times because we had community and we had friends and we played double dutch and hopscotch and shot marbles, right? At the same time, it was drug infested and infested. And again, I was that kid who believed in the possibilities. Uh, I was an I didn't know the word at the time, but an idealist. And then I was that kid who didn't get into a fight. Like I was too scared to get into a fight, you know? Um, So I often stayed in the house. Um, Also shame, you know, uh, because I had uh, um, been violated at five years old. So it was, I I really didn't go outside of my four walls. I didn't want to get in trouble. I took that on. I wanted to be perfect. I wanted to be good because I felt dirty. I felt ashamed. Mm -hmm. And um, I used to have tantrums because I didn't have the language to express what was going on. And over time with neighborhood looking at the the gangs and the drugs and you know if you're in gangs you go to jail or you die Mm -hmm. you know it was uh that's not that's that's not what I want to do and then it was Whitney Houston's greatest love of all (sighs) that was my was that your song (laughs) I I remember I I sang it in kindergarten yes that that was poorly compared to Whitney Houston (laughs) That was but with enthusiasm. Yes. Yes. That was the song. Like, I will decide, right? Mm-hmm. If I fail, if I succeed, right. at least I did it. Right. So, like, I sang that song with conviction and I believe those mm-hmm. words. So, school became my refuge. Yeah. And, um, I was the kid who would sit in the front of the class. Um, I struggled with um, uh, processing, mm-hmm. um, but I was an overachiever. I, um, and then uh, I was in magnet school, and, and so I was studying Socrates and, and Shakespeare and Henry mm-hmm. David Thoreau, and, and because life was stable at one point, right. and then we continued to move and move and move. And so school was still my refuge because I knew I didn't believe in my world. Mm-hmm. Um, but with attending four high schools in a year and a half, like struggling, but I had obtained skills, you know, to do just yeah. enough to get by, you know, right. school was right. definitely my refuge and looking at my world through my lens, just understanding like this can't be life. There's got to be mm-hmm. more. I don't know what it is. I just know this isn't it. Right. You know, um, and looking through like Spiegel's magazine, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and yeah. I do a lot of escaping with yeah. television, um, family shows like Family mm-hmm. Ties mm-hmm. and Growing Pains and, you know, Different World and The Cosby Show mm-hmm. and you know, acting in which the definition right. is being fully present in the imaginary world. Mm. You know, so that that was. That was my way of realizing I didn't belong there. I just didn't know where I belonged and mm-hmm. who was my refuge. 
know, other people had sex, right? Other mm-hmm. people, it was gangs. Other people, it was drugs. Other people was who, you know, other things. For me, it was school. Cause it was easy for me. You know, I was playing school with yeah. my siblings. Like I knew I wanted to be a teacher, but that was my way out education. Yeah. I love that. And so your, you talked earlier and I certainly can relate of, you know, when you have trauma happen, you're just like, why me? Like, what did I do to just, to deserve this? What's wrong with me? You know, I, I used to have this story um, that I was the weak gazelle, you know, mm-hmm. that like, that that's you know I must have been easy bait um and and so tell me how did you come back to this sense of your own self-worth because you mentioned you know this idea of like this core of who you are and these core beliefs um that are you know rooted in something more than experiences of your life yeah so it's a gift and the curse right being able to disassociate right like that is a gift and the curse and it was, tr- I'm gifted. I was gifted in dissertation, right? So here I was a five-year-old performing oral sex, you know, at five years old. Inappropriately, um, um, uh, oral sex was performed on me by my female neighbor. Inappropriately touched by my grandfather, at 19, raped at 19, you know, being promiscuous. And so I always felt like there was a shell of me, like I wasn't fully alive. I kind of carry that over time and with going to therapy and doing the work and, um, you know, being in the wilderness, as I call it, whether it was um, being in places or involved in relationships that that wasn't of my true self, um, having to say, OK, this has gone on long enough. Right. And so over time with therapy, exercising, um, uh, not consistently. Right. Like it was up and down trials, all of those things. Um, and it's off with. I had to convince myself of the truth yeah. and literally convince myself of the truth. So it started with this red journal. It was March 14th, mm-hmm. five, which is ironic because my brother, huh? My brother was killed November, 2005. Wow. So in March of March 14, 2005, I started journaling. Mm-hmm. I'm beautiful. I'm more than enough. I'm worthy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, I, I tell the truth. It was all these things I kept journaling, but the truth is I didn't believe any of those. Mm. I didn't believe I was smart. I didn't believe I was pretty. I believe I was the perfect weight. I used to hide my smile. Um, I used to wear a lot of clothes, and, you know, because I didn't want to mm. be seen. I didn't think I was beautiful. So every day, right, I would have, I would write the same thing, oftentimes the same thing over and over again, because I had to convince myself yeah. of uh, truth. And mm-hmm. so it was little things like that over time, which led me to it's my abuser, which led me to having healthy relationships with all these other people, which led me to um, getting all these degrees and all these accolades. Mm-hmm. And then I was dating this man and he asked me to marry him. Mm-hmm. And the little girl said, hey, you forgot about me. Yeah, you got all these degrees. And you're at the top of your field mm-hmm. and you abuser but we need to deal with my sadness we need to deal with my frustration my guilt my shame my all of this mm-hmm. and so at 38 right. <laughs> now I'm feeling inadequate because my gift with association mm-hmm. is not working on me now right. I have to learn how to connect to love mm-hmm. and I don't know how to do that I have to yeah. learn how to connect and be present right mm-hmm. and that took a lot of 
work of mm-hmm. yeah. I, I see your face. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you're just singing my song. <laughs> yes, and it's like, how do you do that at thirty eight and, mm-hmm. and and thirty nine and forty? And then you're explaining this to someone who chooses to do life with you, and you don't have. So he's like, well, what's wrong with you? And like, I don't know. You know, it's like, who waits to get married? And mm-hmm. I think I'm fine. And now what really happened was I have psychological safety now. And so the right. little girl said, you are in safe space. And so you you can be restored. And um, yeah, we can love each other through our brokenness. But mm-hmm. that didn't stop me doing the work right. of that's when EMDR started. Right. Yeah. It, it was I need to connect with her. I need to honor her. I need mm-hmm. to sit with her. You know, when I do get in a relationship, I want to hold hands. You know, yeah. I, I, I want to honor the 16 year old me. You know, when mm-hmm. I do engage with in, in, in like now I'm trying to learn different body parts that right. that that. I had a lot of sex, but I wasn't there. I was right. somewhere else. Mm-hmm. It was somewhere else, you know. Yeah. So it didn't matter. It is you, you, you had sex with this person. Yet, yep. But I now you're asking right. me to do something I don't know how to do right. Yeah. So um, it's a continued process, mm-hmm. and 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 um, your your true self is going to be revealed every day. Mm-hmm. Every day. So it starts with convincing yourself of the truth. Because we, it's easier to believe the lies and dealing with in today's society, we have these images, right? Mm -hmm. Have different groups saying it's your fault or you should have done this and you shouldn't have said in his lap and you shouldn't have. And it's Mm -hmm. like, wait a minute, what is the truth? And the truth has been so, um, um, the volume of the truth in ourselves turned Mm -hmm. down, um, to, to, you don't know how how to get back to that but it starts with you sitting in the mirror yeah and crying out to self and honoring and and that may look like journaling crying um therapy it's 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 a process Mm -hmm. it's it's a process and and but it starts with convincing yourself of the truth yeah i love that and i think like you said you may not believe it at first but it's planting these seeds you know, and it's just consistently showing back up and just like trying to crack in. And, and, you know, I love what you said about the whole thing of acting. It's like, you know, I definitely felt that at at some point I was like, well, if I am just acting, at least I'm going to like act lovingly, you know, and, and pretend that I love myself. And then eventually like, maybe I actually will, (laughs) but at least, you know, let's start somewhere. Um, and, uh, and, and start to like, you know, create that. And then, uh, and then build upon it. So um, I love one of the things that um, I, I think this was in your book, actually. Um, you re- refer to yourself as a surrogate to stand in and absorb some pain to speak for those who are not being heard. And I think that's so important um, because I think so few people do tell their story or if they tell their story, it's dismissed. And I love how it unfolds, uh, how you end up telling your mom and you end up telling your mom about what happened with your stepfather because you overhear your mom having a conversation with somebody else about like some friend of a friend's kid being abused. Um, So tell me about that moment when you were just like, okay, here's my chance to be heard. Like my, you know, my mom's obviously hip to what's going on in other people's lives. I need to let her know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I often say this 
the inability uh, when people lose their voice, the in, it's not the inability to speak. It's the inability to be right. So we're often trying to tell people something. We're just not speaking the language. And so with me, it manifests in tantrums mm-hmm. and um but it was dismissed, you know, and so it wasn't until I was in elementary school. Um, it was in the 1980s. And that at that time, I think some kids had been abducted. We were talking about safe mm-hmm. touch in school. My friend and I kind of talked about it and she kind of shared that that right. happened with um was going on in her house and then my mom she was as I like to refer to her as a kitchen titian she was a beautician who did hair in the kitchen because she didn't have license right um and so she was sitting around doing someone's hair and just talking to her friends and just explaining how uh someone was saying that this this kid of theirs disclosed and my mom was like if my kid come to me and tell me I will believe them. I will care for them. I would do what I can, you know. And so that was me saying, oh, this is safe. I can share, you know. Um, and so it was a it was a Friday. I was a kid that never would spend a night at anyone's house for the weekend. So I went over to my house and everyone was shocked. It was a Saturday morning. We we're on our way to the library to purchase books or to, to check out books. And I asked if I could use my, my aunt's phone. And moment, I asked my mom, what was she doing? me uh she was braiding hair and I said I have something to tell you and she said what is it I said Daryl's been touching me yeah and she said what and she hung up the phone and I stood there for a second I was like oh my god you know and she called right back and she had my grandmother on the phone with her mm-hmm. and she said say what you said again to me said it again and she said I'm on my way and I didn't have the language to explain mm-hmm. that he had been fondling me and that I was performing oral sex. Like, I didn't I didn't have that language. And so they came and got me and took me to the doctor. And, and you know, uh, I remember someone praying over me. I remember the the police coming to the, the house and all those other things afterwards. But it was because of the way she explained to her friend that she would hold space and she would care for me and she would believe me to know that she would believe me um, was very important because oftentimes people aren't believed. So Mm -hmm. that, so that, that was the the space she held for me that gave me the the courage to speak Mm -hmm. up. And and it was a combination of school, right? What was happening at school, Mm -hmm. my friend, and then what was happening at home. So people are paying attention and we have all these themes, you know, and, lives where it's given us signs to share. It's time to share. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to dive more into this uh, in a moment um, because I think it's an important point to make. Uh, You know, you talked about learning about it in school and I did too. It was like stranger danger, but everyone, I guess with the exception of one person who abused me was people I knew. They were family members. They were like, you know, and so in a similar situation with you. So um, I definitely want to jump into that when we return from our last and final break. You are listening to Unbuckled with Intimacy Architect, me, Christiane Bella, and our guest, Dr. Sheree Walker. And we will be back in just a moment. Thanks for listening. Think about how much sound you hear all the time noise, music, your own heartbeat? What is it made of? How does it work? How does it affect you? The universe of music takes you into the particles of life and the beat of living. It is an interactive online masterclass of music and science taught by the internationally renowned musician and scholar, Dr. Marcin Bella. 
visit theuniverseofmusic.com. That's theuniverseofmusic.com. Are you tired of having the same fight over and over again? Is it hard to remember a time when you felt close to each other? Before you call it quits, do you want to do something to rebuild that spark of intimacy? Of course you do. Ignite the passion like never before with Intimacy Architecture. Text 626-310-5159 to set up your relationship consultation. Again, text 626-310-5159. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Unbuckled with Christy Ann Bella. Reach out to Christy Ann with any questions or comments at intimacyarchitect at gmail.com. That's intimacyarchitect at gmail.com. Christy Ann welcomes your emails. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. You are listening to Unbuckled. We are here talking about the power of finding your voice again, of reclaiming your power, and beyond that, going out and speaking your truth to help really ignite change in the world. And our guest is Dr. Sheree Walker, author of The Resilient Walker. And uh, we're going to dive in a little bit about, you know, an experience that parallels in both of ours. Um, and, and as we were just talking, we're pretty sure like 70% of people who have been abused have been abused by somebody they know, family members, um, more often than not. And so this idea of stranger danger, I mean, you know, I, I appreciated that education, I guess, but I don't know that it really applied. I think if anything, it made me not believe that what was happening to me was abuse because it wasn't strangers. And that people I knew and who were supposed to love me wouldn't do this. This is only something bad strangers do. Um, so that was definitely something I had to unpack when I was <laughs> sorting out my stuff. Um, but you talked about, you know, how important it is that we believe people that that just creating a safe space to say, like, I will believe you allows people to come and speak their truth. Do you feel like your family... Um, because your mother really stepped up, but do you feel like, you know, did you feel like you had support from the rest of your family or did you feel like it was one of those things that nobody likes to talk about? It's like, okay, well, you know, it's not that we don't believe you, but we just ain't going to talk about it kind of thing. No, it, it was a combination of both. It was every, I mean, they believed me, they supported me, they cared for me, they honored me. Um, it was culturally the therapy. We w- we went to a couple of sessions, um, but that was it. Um, but then over time, it was, we didn't talk about it because it happened year, years ago. Mm-hmm. But I realized that we didn't talk about it because they had some unhealed trauma, right? Like because of their own upbringings and they didn't know how to support or how it would manifest on in later years, you know, mm-hmm. um, just kind of disconnect, you know, mm-hmm. from it and not seeing a correlation between this would happen four or five years ago to how this behavior is manifesting now. And so um, I had to figure that out later on, you know, that it, it was um, they too had some unhealed trauma and so they did what they knew how to do, you know, which was take me to the doctor, mm-hmm. call the police, uh, 
therapy sessions, um, you know, watch out for me years afterwards, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But as far revisiting the trauma, asking, you know, how is it manifesting? Like, that's just not something we did in whole. And I don't think most people in America do, you know, it's kind of like, let's not just talk about this now, you know, Mm -hmm. it happened. And not because of ugliness, people just don't know what to do. Right. Yeah. People just don't know what to do. Yeah. And that's why we're here talking about it to help give you some tools. Yes. Yes. Yeah, because I think, you know, the more normal these conversations become and and I think that's a big piece is, you know, is not obviously preventative. uh, But if something occurs is that it, yes, immediately there's things that need to be taken care of, but there there is a long game because it, it does have a ripple effect in areas of your life that you might not think, you know, when I think back to like how many jobs. I would quit the minute somebody attempted to like challenge my authority. And I'm like, nope, you ain't going to tell me what to do. Somebody told me what to do once and it didn't go well and I don't trust you. And, you know, just that. And I'm like, wow, I blew a lot of really great jobs because I was like, I just had, you know, such a thing with authority. It triggered PTSD in me that I didn't even know was there until I knew it was there. And it was like, oh, yeah, that all makes sense now. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think it's so important for us to to see, you know, and, and maybe in seeing that and talking about that, you know, that will help to really understand why preventative is so important that this isn't just like, oh, wow, that was a terrible thing that happened to you. And, you know, you'll get over it. Um, it's like, no, this is, there's a lot of work <laughs> to be done. And we could just maybe, mm-hmm. you know, help hurt people so they don't hurt people. Hurt people. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Because but I, who would I have thought at- I'm yeah, sorry. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say, who would have thought at 38? You know, I'm sitting there about mm-hmm. to get married, and I'm like, huh? Oh. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how to connect to love, right? Mm-hmm. It's it manifests itself, and it's gonna continue. But do I have the tools and strategies and space to be able to sit and honor mm-hmm. the little girl? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Intimacy. Um, well, obviously, I'm an intimacy architect. It definitely became, you know, a big part of my life because I realized that just like you, like I had tons of sex, but I was not there for that. It was like, you, you know, a stand in, I guess, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but intimacy was an entirely different ball game to like actually connect with somebody and care and have feelings and be vulnerable. Um, and so it was so uncomfortable at first. I was just like, oh, my God, like. Ooh, it feels itchy in here. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, so it definitely took some time to trust myself, trust my body, you know, trust that, that space to really, to go into. Um, I love you talk a lot in your book about core beliefs. And one of them that really hit my heart was believe in possibilities. And I love that. And, you know, I know I've certainly been there. It sounds like you've had some moments too, where you're like, you're in the pit and it's like, how do you, believe in possibilities when the the world around you or things that you've seen just make you feel like oh, how can I even create anything other than this tragedy what what sparks that in you to be like no believe in possibilities it's that constant reminder that things change right it's that constant mm-hmm. reminder and depending on where you are in your life you have to realize like it wasn't always like this um, and, and it's going to change. And that doesn't mean that you're not frustrated. You're not hurt. You're not in pain. You're not mad. You're not sad. You're not. It doesn't mean that those things aren't, aren't true emotions, but you also have to remember that it's going to change. And so it's 
knocking over milk, right? Like you knock over the spilled milk and do you just stand there and look at the milk? You know, do you complain while you're cleaning it up or do you sit in it and let turn into, you know, it, it gets sticky or what do you do with it? Right. And so you have to go through all of the emotions um, and, 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 Give yourself like um, strategies again, going back to journaling, taking a bath, you know, like bath time is my thing, mm-hmm. right? I have my bath caddy. I'm in the bathtub for at least an hour, at least yeah. an hour, right? Um, it may be up and resting, you know. Um, uh, I realize like I like to stare out the window or stay in the bed, but I know if I stay in the bed too long, then I can become depressed. Yeah. So this is this is really trial and error on mm-hmm. self and learning what works for you. And so with convincing yourself of the truth, it's remembering your agreements with your true self. The truth mm-hmm. is I am worthy even when you don't feel like it. Like mm-hmm. even even though it feels un- it feels uncomfortable because right. it's easier to believe the lie. Yeah. So it's kind of like trying on a new dress, a new sc- suit, new skin, right? Like it's mm-hmm. uncomfortable in this new skin because the right. old one felt you know felt better or these new shoes right. kind of tight because mm-hmm. you know and so yeah. reminding yourself and it's like what are you listening right what are you watching on television you know what are you feeding your mm-hmm. soul to help you remember mm-hmm. the truth right yeah. and so is less than one percent of the united states population have a doctorate less than that are black less than that or you know uh, to be female in addition to that i'm from watts you know and i had all these adverse childhood experiences talk about believing in the defying odds yeah Yeah. about convincing yourself truth and you may seem like you're brainwashing yourself Mm -hmm. so be it right like Mm -hmm. you're you're having to reprogram your mindset and your Mm -hmm. system you put on protective behaviors, these protective mm-hmm. thoughts to get through that time and space. But now in this mm-hmm. new place, in this new job, in this new relationship, mm-hmm. in this new level, this new season, that armor doesn't work over here. Right. And so you have to learn the armor of honoring yourself, mm-hmm. saying nice things to yourself, um, um, connecting yourself with people who are going to validate but also challenge you to see yourself when you are beaten up on yourself Mm -hmm. so it's how do you date yourself how do you have Mm. a relationship with self before you can have a relationship with other people you got to convince yourself of the truth by engaging in a healthy relationship with self yes oh i know that's like the blessing and the curse isn't it it's like you know it's it's up to you it's like, oh, good. It's up to me, but it's like, uh, but it's up to you. <laughs> so only you can do this for you, um, which you know is is empowering, but also scary to think like, oh wow, it it really is up to me to go back in and find me. And like you're saying, that little girl, you know, or or the little boy, we know um, this is not solely a, a female uh, yes, sexual yes, abuse trauma. Yes. Um, but yeah, you know, to be able to. To slow down enough and find that space to be like, okay, I'm going to listen to what's underneath all of these things that I've built to cope in the world and to survive in the world and, and get back to that essence. Um, and so I, this hit my heart too. Um, you talk about this idea of, of 
committing suicide and killing the the life that you planted before, you know, and to come back around to to this idea of being a child of God. Um, and I loved that because I, I definitely felt that. I felt those moments where I was like, oh, that part of me that thinks I'm unworthy or not enough, like, you know, at some point it's got to go because it's just not serving, you know, it, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't transfer over yet to the, to the life that I want to have. Do you, do you feel like the emotional intelligence you have was something that you really taught yourself? Um, or do you feel like you had some, some glimmers of that in some of your family or some of the support systems you had to teach you how to even figure out like, who is this self that I'm supposed to find? I think we all are as wise as an 80 year old in some areas and as immature as the 12 year old or a five year old, you know, when your trauma, you were exposed to your trauma. And I think um, because of my family structure, I took on the role of the protector. I took on the role of the, the, um, I guess the, the, the surrogate, right? And so I saw, uh, certain levels of emotional intelligence in my mother with listening to the conversations that she had. Then you can spiritual, uh, um, aspect of, or my spiritual beliefs. And so depending on the time and space, it was situational. Right. And I had to do the work for me or believe that I was doing it for me because I later learned that when someone hurt you and they apologize years later or months later, it didn't matter, right? It, it didn't matter that they said those words. I still had and I had to tend to the wound because they couldn't fix it. They couldn't make it go away because parts of me believed did said, right? So Mm -hmm. as I have healed certain relationships with my father or even with the, uh, the friend that toxic relationship, some of the things they say now that I would have died to for to hear back in the day, it sounds good. It's nice, but those wounds and those hurts have been healed. And and that's through my belief, but also me doing the work, right? To where it doesn't matter about outside accomplishments. It doesn't matter about outside um, um, comments. They don't mm-hmm. fix inside hurt. Right. They don't fix inside hurt. The only person that fix inside hurt is right is, is me and me going yeah. into myself and centering myself and purging from these things that were done that I did to myself and mm-hmm. can and the truth is what's the name of book broken crayon still color right. right I am worthy right I am mm-hmm. worthy I I I or the question I often ask myself who goes through all that hell to be mediocre yeah who goes through all that hell to not be the best version of myself mm-hmm. and so it's convincing myself of the truth and doing the work because I'm the only one, like you said, I decide, I decide now who I'm going to be. And I choose to be the best version of myself and doing the hard work. 
Yes. Oh, I love it. So empowering and inspiring. Um, well, we just have a couple minutes left before we wrap up. Um, so I want to thank you truly for being here with us, uh, for sharing your story, for sharing with the listeners your your insight and wisdom and true triumph um, rising above your situation and circumstances to, to be here, to be the powerful woman you are, um, speaking out and writing and, uh, and really making that change in the world. It's beautiful. Um, do you have last closing little thought you want to share before we head out? The listeners, to the little girl, little boy within, you're free to heal, right? Remember who you are. Rem- remember who you are. Anything is possible to do the work. I'm sorry. Things may have happened to you or to your child or to your friend, but you have to be the surrogate for that person or even for your. Uh, and at this point now, reach out to someone. There are several organizations that are out here that can help you reach friends, family, journey of becoming your true self. Anything is possible. Anything is possible. Yes, it is. Absolutely. Um, And, you know, as we've mentioned on other shows previously, a great resource is rain.org. That's R-A-I-N-N dot O-R-G. They will connect you if you need help um, overcoming sexual abuse trauma. They are a wonderful resource. Um, So you can find our amazing guest, Dr. Walker, at Resilient Walker. That's R-E-S-I-L-I-E-N-T w-a-l-k-e-r.com and Resilient Walker on Instagram and Facebook. You can get the book Resilient Walker on Amazon. Highly recommend you read it. Thank you again for being here and thank you listeners for being here. Um, Please, you know, get out there, share your story, unbuckle the truth. Take care. Thank you for listening to Unbuckled. You can join Christy Ann Bella for another program with amazing guests, stories, and advice every week on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be sure to check out our new show coming soon.